Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. It's the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC here after a disappointing SW6 derby defeat at Stamford Bridge to Chelsea. Fulham going down 1-0 at our old haunting ground in so many ways. The place that was built for Fulham Football Club has become a nightmare down the years and it continued on Saturday. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today and joining me, Mr Jack Kelly. How you doing, mate? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay, all things considered. And Mr. Cameron Ramsey. How you doing, Cam? Better late than never, lads. Uh, good speaking with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought we'd give everyone a little bit of time to cool off. This actually isn't what happened. We had some illnesses strike down the camp yesterday, so we've uh, had to delay recording by a day. But here we are with a little bit more hindsight. Take a look at what then went down at the bridge. And we'll start, Cam, with some three-word reviews. What was the best? Right, we're fired straight into them. Um, we go to, um, obviously, X, which is the app formerly known as Twitter. Um, we got my mate, uh, Jakob Kruper, sits next to me in uh, in H5. We've got Naomi Gusto, which literally means I did not like. And I think a few people suggested that, actually. But um, obviously, I think Jakob was a little bit quicker off the mark than most. We've got D for um, N. DB, which I believe just is a uh, Dan DB, which is Stamp Foot Bridge, which is another uh, another really clever but simple one. And we've got Connor Brody, uh, more points deopt, and heading over to obviously the other side of social media on Instagram, we've got um, Austin R Burks with is another loss, um, even though another isn't a standalone <laughs> word, but we'll, we'll, we'll let it slide. We'll allow it. We'll allow it. We'll, we'll allow it. And we've got Stephen slowing it down with Bridge to VAR, which oh, is extremely apt. Well done. That's excellent. Good work, everybody. Good work. Uh, Jakob wasn't at the game at the weekend because he was covering the Newcastle game and we were chatting about it beforehand. And he was just like, I'm really glad to be missing it. Text him afterwards, been like, not anymore, mate. So <laughs> I think that was the, the overarching feel of it. Jack, 
it was another defeat at the bridge. The record goes on 45 years. It will be 45 years by the time that Fulham play there again. It's incredibly frustrating. But in some ways, there's also this overriding sense that in a, as much as it can be in an SW6 derby, this didn't feel like the end of the world, as frustrating as it was. No, you're right. I think it was like the least in the least significant West London derby of recent times. Even though, like you say, before we even start recording, like it was a really good chance to beat them or at least get a result. But the games against Liverpool and the context behind that as a cup semi-final, it just means so much more to us on, on you know, a one-off two-legged semi-final than just a, a run-of-the-mill, basically. Uh, Westland Derby, where we'll be playing, I, I reckon we'll be playing another two next season. I think we'll be we'll be fine in, in that sense. So th- there was this feeling that there was a massive game in the week. We're, we're still in the tie and that's given us enough encourage- encouragement to go into the second leg. And this was just sort of like a, obviously a big, if there was no cup semi-final, I think we'd be a little bit more disappointed, but, but there was. And actually I was more concerned about you know, the welfare of players like Robinson and Paulinia and just making sure we got through the 90 without any any injuries, any casualties. So it, it wasn't the best game of football. Um, I missed the goal because I went to the concourse for a pint. Therefore, in my head, it was nil-nil. So I'm absolutely fine with a point. Um, but yeah, frustrating. Um, I think it was softish penalty. I'm sure we'll get into it. But the overall performance wasn't too encouraging. It was a, it was better in the final 15 minutes, maybe. But if if we, we're going to sit here and we say, look, if we lose to Chelsea, but go to Wembley in a, in a cup final against either Middlesbrough or them lot again, then... Um, Honestly, if that's, if that's the Carabao Cup final, I might not go. You'd rather the situation point, where you'd be in the final and, and lose to Chelsea than, than beat Chelsea and be out of the cup tie, in my, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I think, Cam, that some of the frustration comes from the fact that this iteration of Chelsea felt incredibly beatable. Mm. And whilst I'm not going to sit here and suggest that Fulham were the better team on the day because we weren't, but it wasn't because Chelsea were excellent. It's just because we were very, very poor. And there's sort of two fold elements to this. One, that feeling that we might not get a better opportunity with all of this money spent. And whilst it hasn't turned around just yet, it does feel inevitable at some point they will strike gold and get this right. But also the performance from Fulham felt a little bit like they'd left everything on the park up at Anfield and there was almost nothing left in the tank. Definitely. I mean, I I will stick with um, Jack's sentiment, really, that we were just absolutely knackered mm. um, and we hedged all of our bets, obviously, in performing as well as we possibly could have done up in Merseyside. And actually, if you were to weigh the two games up um, a week ago, obviously, before anything was played, you'd want us to put maximum effort into at least staying relevant and staying uh, within the uh, within the you know double-headed sword which is a Carabao Cup semi-final um so you know i i was going into this game with a little glimmer of optimism i suppose because you know, um chelsea had obviously played against middlesbrough and were played off the park um up, up the park at you know the riverside as well um and you would have thought maybe they have a point to prove but likewise we did too but quite obviously, neither side was really up for it, and it was decided um, by a fairly, fairly uh, soft shit penalty, in my opinion. But that's how it goes. It's the luck that we get at Stamford Bridge, um, and it's not necessarily the most happy of places for us to visit. I mean, we had a very, very boring nil-nil last season, which we can shout about as much as we like, but it still wasn't a still wasn't a great occasion in itself. But if you're going to um, if you're going to look at the bigger picture and appreciate what we've got coming up, obviously in the next couple of weeks we've got ten days off now to obviously regroup and recuperate. Uh, 
you'd want uh, you want the boys to be fully focused on trying to get themselves to Wembley. And do you know what? If we can play those uh, those um, those lodges of ours at Wembley, and we can do a number on them, and why not? Because uh, that's exactly where our focus should be at the moment. And uh, so what? We lost one nil. Move on, and I'm the same as Jack. I missed the goal too because I was uh, I was getting a very very early pint in Don Betts fashion. Just yeah, that, that, makes th- that makes three of us. So uh, zero <laughs> zero people in this podcast saw the goal go in live. So as you say, Jack, that counts as a as a point as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't start brilliantly, J.K. We had there was there was few opportunities. There was a little header from Armando Brogia that mm-hmm. went just wide, but apart from that, there wasn't huge amounts in this game. I had a friend, I have a friend who's a Chelsea fan for all of his sins in a previous life, I assume. Uh-huh. Uh, and he texted me saying, uh, he's saying, how do, you, how do you think the game went? And I was like, to be honest, it was one of the worst games of football I've seen in a long, long time. It didn't feel like anything. He, he replied saying, yeah, I thought you didn't want to play football in the, in the first half and we were physically unable to play football. And the <laughs> second half was one of the most attack, uh, uh, displays of attacking impotence that I've ever seen from both sides. And I thought that summed it up quite nicely. Mm. There was a chance for Harry Wilson where he arrives at the back post, but it really felt like a half where there was very little to shout about. When I went down for that pint, you know, and it was 40, 44, 45 minutes. It wasn't like a 38 minute job. There was no way that I thought either side were going to get on the score sheet at that point. No, and it, and it was two added minutes, you know, the first half. And I looked at the screen when the penalty was, was given, it was 48 and a half minutes gone. I was thinking, well, that's three and a half. So, so why is he not blown up at forty-seven? But I wasn't there to see the the actual added time. So maybe there were some stoppages within that. But um, it was, you know, obviously the quick turnaround from Wednesday night to Saturday. You know, Marco said it in his, pro- his press conference. It's just not very good. It's just not very nice. I mean, I actually now have more sympathy with teams like Liverpool who will have to play eight o'clock in the Champions League on a Wednesday and then play the twelve thirty in the Premier League, and and that really would wind me up and fortunately or maybe unfortunately we don't have the luxury to have European football so we don't we don't sort of feel the the non-benefits of that um but but yeah I thought actually the, I thought the first half we defended our box really well but yeah. then once we got the ball clear it we we had no out ball and Chelsea would just overturn the ball and keep coming at us and thought Tosin and Diop were pretty good and and then obviously you know Sterling gets a space in the box and he turns away from Diop and he he just doesn't need to dangle that leg because I don't think he's going necessarily anywhere very threatening. I think he'll maybe go a little bit wider and flash a, a ball across the face of goal. But it's just one of those really annoying penalties where there is enough contact, where basically in the concourse, they were showing the replay of the penalty. And on the first replay, everyone was like, no, it's never a penalty. Second, second uh, replay, never a penalty, no contact. And the third was a little bit closer up. And then it was just silence. Oh, yeah, there's contact. There's contact. They're <laughs> going to give it. And then you can hear the cheers and Cold Palmer, who had an outstanding performance against Middlesbrough, obviously put one away. <laughs> and um, Frustrating. And yeah, the, the Wilson chance was probably the, the, the highlight for us um, in the first half. But we did really well to get into that position. I thought Petrovic did really well to get across his line um, quite quickly to, to smother it. Uh, and that's really all she wrote for the first half. And it was disappointing to, to, to lose in that sort of fashion. But it's not like we made a catastrophic error at the back uh, to let them in. It was just a, a little foul in the box. It sort of reminded me of the game we played at Anfield last season where we lost by a goal to nil in very similar fashion, yeah. a, a penalty yeah, yeah, yeah. right before half time, albeit that one was much more softer than 
than this one. But but as Cam said, it was a, still a soft penalty. But if there's contact, Sterling, a player like Sterling is going to go down and, and Palmer put it away. It's smart because they weren't creating anything else in mm, some ways. Exactly. Um, I know Cam thinks he's so. I, I think it's a pen. I'd be screaming for it at the other end. I'd be absolutely <laughs> screaming for it. And so, you know, it's one of those, do we get it? At the bridge, the same decision. No. I don't know. I, I don't think so. And 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 that's maybe the maybe that's the difference. But it, I felt whilst it was soft, it was probably a pen. The big decision before that cam was obviously the red card mm. and the tackle from Malagusto. I'm not sure at, at first. On I'll be honest, live. I thought a yellow was probably right. I thought it was a little bit, you know, a little bit fierce. But mm. I thought, oh, okay, I'm I'm not seeing that. You see the replay. And I think considering some of the red cards we've seen dished out this season, I can't understand how VAR haven't intervened in that situation to at least get the referee to have a look. No, that's for me, it was a it was a nailed on red card as soon as I saw it, mate. Um, there's no two ways about it for me personally. You've got Malagusto who had completely lost control of the ball. Um, no time to think about spatial awareness of, or indeed the, uh, the well-being of William, who had, been, of course, brought possession from him in such close contention. But in that situation, come on, studs up, going over the ball yeah. the way he did. It's a total lack of disregard of, uh, of William's, uh, William's personal safety. And um, there's just, for me, it was just an absolute horror tackle. And when you see it back, and of course it looks worse when it's, everything's slowed down, but it just goes to show how, um, how reckless it was from Gusto. And uh, for me, he shouldn't have been on that pitch. You know, not when you have the tools in place that enables the officials, VAR, whoever it may well be in Stockley Park, to actually uh, scrutinise and uh, deliberate between right and wrong. It doesn't make any sense to me. And we've spoken about this already. We touched on it. If the boot was on the other foot, pardon the pun, but if it was... I mean, would that have been a red card for a film player? I, you bet your bottom dollar it would have been. It just yeah. would have been. They would have slowed that down. They would have. T- they would have picked every little piece of that apart, and they would have gone, "Oh, now that is dangerous." You know, what's he doing there? He's lost control of the ball. There's no way he's going to be able to retrieve that without going through the man, and that's exactly what happens. And the other thing that makes me so angry um, is not. It's not the fact that there is no consistency and nobody actually understands the you know the, the actual laws and regulations of the game anymore. Um, it's the fact that Gusto took to social media afterwards, and um, he almost championed the fact that he um, he he had maimed one of his uh, you know a professional um, such as himself that was just putting himself in a position to win the ball and he wasn't he wasn't there to cause any malice himself, William. Um, so I don't know why he took that kind of slant and angle with his social media post to almost uh, almost gloat about it. I thought that's mm. Disgusting, and retro- retrospectively, I, I do think Gusto needs to have some kind of some form of punishment coming his way. But will we see that? No, we'll no. just get a half-assed <laughs> apology from the PGMOL and uh, the powers that be to say, "Oh, we got it wrong. We put our hands up and we we'll apologise and move on." But that isn't good enough because once again, it, it just wouldn't it wouldn't have ended out that way. It wouldn't have panned that way if it was a Fulham player. It just wouldn't have. Yeah. There's no way, like. Um, if it was Kenny Tete flying in on someone like Madueke, um and Madueke was on the floor in a heap, rightly so. If you've just had somebody studs break down your break down your ankle and your your ankle's gone at a ninety degree angle <laughs> with all the force of of a man's weight going on it as well, you're going to be on the floor and you're going to be reeling in pain. So I don't understand where that decision has come from. And you've got people on TV, you've got pundits, you've got ex-referees going, oh, it's a yellow card. Of course it's a yellow card, you know. It's a mistake. Mistakes can cause players to lose their careers over that kind of, like, you know, irrational, um, you know, mindlessness. 
So, no, sorry, I could talk about this for absolutely hours, lads. I really could do because I was so angry when I saw it. I just, I, you know, I was, I, I'm seething now, hence why I just mm. need to get this in the bug quite quickly. But Malagusto is a little wanker who deserves to be banned. Right, and I'll leave it there. Right. The thing is, like, that's it. That's, that's Cam for you. Fantastic stuff. What I was going to say was, like, when, when we saw it in real time, I said, oh, that's a bad tackle, that is. They'll definitely check that. But there was no indication after William was rolling on the floor and, you know, certain players were surrounding the referee. They did, that... say, it on, they did say it on the comms, watching it. I watched it back. Oh, they did I say they would. Back, but I did. But on the comms, they did say they're going to be checking that. So but they I'm, didn't, I'm, we didn't, didn't go far enough the... for it to be displayed on the big screens. And that was no. what I was expecting because it did look like a dangerous tackle. And then, you know, you watch it, the replay in the in the concourse, and I was sort of a bit up in arms going, well, I mean, not only are we one nil down to a goal we didn't see, but we should be a man up to a, a tackle we did see. And we were quite close to the action. And I, Jack, felt that that was a red card challenge. And like Cam said, to gloat about it, you know, whether he meant it or not, because it was in like a sort of format with like loads of different pictures from the game. But the yeah, fact where, where he did it, whether he did it himself. But it was really, not, really poor taste, wasn't it? It's, it's, well, well, he, he can't did it himself or not, it's probably the question. I mean, these, 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 play, these players have media representatives and they have usually have people looking after their social media, which will doctor things as well. It's really poor taste and it's just so out of touch and yeah. uh, not not a very not a very good you know indicator of his character as a person. No. It just yeah, no. doesn't sit right with me at all. No. What I thought was interesting was Pochettino was asked about it afterwards and basically they said to him, Marco Silva's absolutely fuming that it wasn't a red card and Poch's response was, of course, I understand. I respect his opinion. It was a challenge, a difficult one for referees in VAR. We've already suffered some sendings off for actions like this. I'm not going to say anything. I accept and understand that it was maybe a red card. I was like, that's about as close as an admitted. It was as bad as the as one he did against get Villa. From anyone, right? Exactly that. Exactly he, that. He it did the ex- one against it's Villa on Matty Cash. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah oh, 100%. Well. There is a question about me. this. I was going to be, I was going to keep the questions for the second half, but I think this is relevant. So I'm going to bring it up now. Sure. Uh, Maxmel17 says, do you think these tackles should be given red cards? Think of it should in the game. I think it should in the game because of other incidents this season. But if you could change the rules next season to make those challenges not red cards, would you? I think we know Cam's opinion on this, but Jack? It's tricky because, you know, the the, the, the term orange card is often used, you know, for, for a tackle that's halfway between a, a yellow and a red, i.e., you know, it's definitely a yellow, but that could also could be a red, therefore it's an orange card. And it does, you know... You know uh, I, it was what we a don't bad, want to do is it, make it any more complicated. They can't no, exactly, but it, it was a bad no. tackle. And you know, the the one that sort of stuck out to me after that Gusto tackle was not only Gusto's tackle against Villa, which I just mentioned, but the Romero one as well, where it's just so erratic. Romero's against Chelsea in that mad game where yeah. Chelsea got the penalty. It's like there's just really... It's like it's not. It's not like Willian's about to absolutely skin him. It's just like quite innocuous, like on the wing and he sort of dives in. and It's just, it, it's just so reckless. And I think that the recklessness of those sort of challenges, even the one that's like Jao Gomez against Brentford a couple of weeks ago in the FA Cup, yeah. just these like really like reckless, like no need sort of challenges do need to be punished because you just like, you can't do that. You can't just, you can't just put your foot out with your studs and like Cam said, like scrape down someone's ankle. Cause it, it's it, negligent. It could break someone's ankle, could break someone's leg. And for someone like Willian at the age of 35, that's, that's that, that's game over for your career. And that would be a really sad way to end things, especially at the bridge. And that sort of tackle needs to be punished. And say, so you can't you can't do that on a pitch, Malugusto. You can't do it. You've done it once before and you got punished. 
So why was he punished again? Yeah, 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 agreed. Agreed. All right, let's move on to the second half because it was a slightly more open half. I thought Chelsea had the better of it in the way that they probably didn't in the first half. But there were a couple of chances, some some good saves from from Bernd Leno. Mm. It all got a bit chaotic towards the end. And it did feel a little bit like, you know, Fulham had the opportunities to get on the ball and, and run at players. And, and this was something I was a bit confused about. There was no attempt to run at Malagusto. No one went at him after that. And look, we can talk mm. about self-preservation, the cup semifinals, all of those things. But with a player on a card like that, surely you've got to have a go at him and try and force him into a mistake camp. Yeah, of course. So players want a tightrope player, isn't he? He's he's sitting duck. He's exactly he's exactly a man you want to target at that point. You want to you you want to up the ante along, you know, um, the right the, the left hand side which he was covering at the time. That's exactly the, that's exactly the area of the pitch which I would have um, I would have bombarded if I were a Fulham player. But there just wasn't the energy out there. There wasn't the enthusiasm really. I mean, we did have a couple of free kicks which were. Oh, I don't know. if we actually had a player that could. That could take a free kick, and we're supposed to have players which are good at them. As Andreas well. didn't hit the bar, right. so there is that. Yeah, but you know, Andreas Pereira, William. you know, William, um, Harry Wilson, self-professed free kick specialists. But when was the last time we scored a free kick? Well, it was William like, against Leicester, last... but it went all the way yeah. out, went straight angle. in, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. So it, wasn't, it wasn't really intentional. Where's Alfie? When we was the last time we scored a free kick from around the box, which <laughs> might be the most interesting one? Yeah. We well, no, I actually think the, the answer is Niskan's Cabano. Yeah, it has to be Cabano. Yes. His trio. He scored, he scored a couple, didn't he, consecutively? Three and three. Yeah. 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 So that's the last time we, we, we'd score one from just sort of in those areas outside the D, etc. That's a long but, way back. That's a long way back. Me, I'm going to be honest with you. I was fairly, I think I was fairly pissed at the time. Um, it was pretty nondescript from a Fulham offensive standpoint for me. Um, I don't really think there was there was too much for us to write home about and shout about. But um, oh, I completely agree. If you if you if you're going to target any any wing on that pitch or any player in particular, it would have been Malo Gusto. And we just didn't do it. Mm. I don't know why we didn't do it. Like you say, it could just be trying to conserve energy. You know, we got ten days off and just uh, get ourselves back in the dressing room afterwards and. Uh, uh, dissect it then, but um, yeah, I, I I can't really put my finger on Fulham's performance in the second half. I just don't think there was enough from us at all, and that's as simple as that for me, really. Yeah, I mean, Jack. One thing: some of the better and worse of Raúl, and uh, yeah. in a moment, a game where there wasn't loads to uh, to smile or laugh about. And I know that some people won't have laughed at this; it would have been incredibly irate. But Raúl trying to score from the halfway line when the keeper was basically on his line—one of the most amusing things all season. The only explanation I can possibly give is that he saw Rodrigo Muniz on the touchline and went, "Right, this is it. This is my last <laughs> chance." Okay, and then he ended up not coming off. Um, but oh, there were dear. some nice things. He had a, he had a good shot saved by. Petrovic after a cutback from Andreas. Mm. There was a nice chest and volley at one point mm. where it was saved at the near post. It wasn't all that difficult for the keeper, but there were some some nice movements. And he drew a foul off Thiago Silva after looping the ball over him yeah, in, in, a, nice. in a counter-attack as well. It did feel a little bit, though, that we could have played for another hour and a half and we weren't going to score. I think, it's ex- I think I said those exact words outside the ground coming back, walking back to East Putney. I just said, look... look we could have played for another hour and a half. We wouldn't have scored. Like, honestly, it was it was one of those games where I, it was the same in, in midweek as well. I was like, we really miss Alex Awobi just a little bit more in that midfield and attacking phase. And 
Um, obviously, that's just down to AFCON and we respect that and he's there right now and we, we wish him the, the best. But um, it would have been nice to... I just looked at that bench as well and just yeah. thought there's not much. You know, bringing Bobby D. Cordova yeah. Reed off the bench, you know, is all fun and games for, for Gary Weaver. It, but he wasn't even on comms. It was on TNT Sports. But it, it would have <laughs> been nicer to have Alex Awobi in the squad. Um, Calvin Bassi, of course, as well. Balotore is an option. Um, and then obviously you're having to basically rely on bringing Rodrigo Muniz off the bench and playing two up top at, by the end of the game, which is fair enough. You're going for a point in the derby. Um, but in terms of Raul's performance, I think it would have been, I'm, I'm glad he shot from the halfway line with his foot and, and not try to rebona it. That would have set my, my head to Pluto, <laughs> to be fair. But um, I, I think he did some nice bits. That, like you say, that shot was actually quite good. I think if he had just generated a little bit more power behind that shot, it might have caused mm. Petrovic some issues. From, from my angle, I generally thought it was going to go in. And then I just realised the keeper was there <laughs> and he smothered it. Um, um, but yeah, we made a bit of a fist of it. and then But then Chelsea were like... I thought you meant the halfway line shot for a minute. I was like, I don't think there was any angle with that. It like it was going in at any point. <laughs> no, the one from uh, the Andreas cutback. Um, but but Chelsea, the, we, we left ourselves a bit exposed at the back sometimes. And it was almost like Gallagher was trying to score the outside of his foot and he hit the post. And I think Sterling... Maybe the post. I can't quite remember because yeah, like, he had one wide. He was actually offside. But oh, was he? Okay, it, well, it, it wouldn't have counted, but it, it was still an, an opportunity carved out. You're right. It did feel like you know we entered. I think five added minutes, and we were pressurised. We had a couple of wide free kicks, and Tosin did look quite threatening coming up from the back. I'm thinking if he wins this header, I think he yeah. won one header and it went across the box. It was a bit of a nervy moment, but that was as close as we really came in the second half, and it was a little bit frustrating. It just felt like we just lacked a bit of firepower and, and someone like a Wobi could have changed that game in the second half, in my opinion. Yeah, it, it felt like we went full into just like, oh, can we make something out of chaos rather than trying yeah. to actually create some some opportunities through any sort of system, which was, look, as you say, everyone's knackered. There was a lot of football, a lot of travelling. I'm glad that this 11-day break has, has, has come at the point it's come and maybe we can just reset a little bit. Mm. Cam, I, I did notice one thing. At the end, the players came over and... I don't think this was ever really necessarily in question, but you can see there was a lot of pain on a lot of those faces. Tom Kenny in particular, I think, who didn't have the best game, didn't have the worst game. He was absolutely grand. But I don't think there's any question that this not care. And that's something you can always take heart from, especially when you're looking at the way that this Chelsea team played and the reception they got, etc. The, the kind of bile being thrown around in midweek after the loss. There feels like a real bond you know, if not with the club right now because of various things off the field between the, the players and the supporters. Yeah, of course. I mean, the, the lads, you know, regardless of what happened on Saturday and regardless of whether it was a flat performance or not, we can forgive them for that because they have invested so much in the last couple of weeks to get themselves into the position which they have done. First semi-final, well, domestic semi-final since, what, 2002? That's something to write home about. Um and yeah, I mean, I, I'm completely with the likes of Tom Kearney, um, with their with their personal angster, with maybe not um, showing the best side of themselves against a local local rival, of course, which were there for the taking in many respects. But um, but no, I do think there's a nice connection and affinity between this team, which Marcus Silva's uh, assembled. I do think that they appreciate the uh, obviously the fan base and um, the the tight knit kind of feeling that. I think has formed over the last three years. Um, and I think anybody that enters the, um, you know, en en enters Marcus Silva's squad over the next couple of weeks, if we are to bring anybody in, we'll have to get ourselves on board with that kind of ethos and ethic. Um, 
I do think there's there's still a lot more to come from this team. And we've got to remember we we're not necessarily used to being in the latter stages of any kind of tournament. Um that's going to take its toll on the mental side of things as well. In yeah. turn, that's going to fatigue them physically. Um, but you can tell that they want to better themselves as a group of players and they're mm-hmm. doing it for, obviously, the shirt, the badge and for us too because they always uh, they always come over and give us, give us you know, the appreciation that I think the Fulham fans definitely deserve. We get a bit of a bad rap for maybe being a little bit too passive and maybe not necessarily the biggest of clubs with the biggest of followings, but you can't take away or deny the fact that we are a very, very passionate fan base and I think the players do appreciate that and they do recognise that. And um, and yeah, I think think it's great to give something back when you do follow them up and down the country and I'm sure they probably recognise a few faces as well (laughs) and that's a nice nice familiarity for them too. I was just going to say... you know, I was so so pleased with the the amount of people we brought on Wednesday night to Anfield, and I thought we made a really really good noise, um, and really got behind the team, and it looked really good on the TV, and it sounded really good on TV from what I heard. Um, what what annoyed me was the, the fact that like, so we're walking to Stamford Bridge, and we're like, oh, it's Derby Day, you know, we're really up for it, and just ahead of us leaving the Durrell were like a group of maybe a hundred Fulham fans all singing and chanting. I was thinking, oh God, Mm. here we go. This is going to be great. And Chelsea fans were getting wound up because we're singing about Mourinho and blah, blah, blah. So it was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Getting under their skin from, you know, from before kickoff. And you get in the ground, you're like, oh, come on, this is going to be great. Get behind them, 12.30. I know everyone's slightly hungover or or trying to, you know, get pissed early days, early doors, (laughs) which is really difficult to do. Um, you know, is especially it? really early <laughs> on. <cab. laughs> I, mean, I mean, the gin gin hit 10 a.m. and I was struggling, you know. When I was on Wednesday night, it was quite easy to get them down because you've sort of been waiting all day to sort of get to the pub. But 10 a.m. double gins were, were not hitting different. Anyway. Um, You're an animal, Jack Kelly. <laughs> we got into the ground and the first 10 minutes we were really giving it. I was like, yeah, come on then. But the atmosphere just never really got going properly. And... It might have been because it was such a bad game of football. That's yeah. all, but, but that's fine. If it's such a bad game of football, then surely your best route would then to be sing, singing more to sort of distract yourself from what you were seeing. But it didn't really get going. I was thinking we were so good. We took 3,000 fans on a Wednesday night to Liverpool and we made a lot of noise and we're in the derby. This is Chelsea away. This is meant to be our cup final, essentially. And we just didn't generate that atmosphere. And I was trying to get things going and no one was really on it. And I was thinking, bloody hell, what I mean, what... What would it take for us to actually? We need to score a goal. We need to have a chance. But um, I'm not going to have a cup final if we get to a cup final. Yeah, that, that is true. That's, <laughs> my, that's my response to that one. I'll tell, tell you, get people going. It's Sasha Lukic gambling oh. around the midfield with not a not a hope in how or care in the world. Sasha well, Lukic. We've got, like, we got questions about Sasha. We're going to come on to <laughs> Sasha in part two. I got one one last thing to add. I was uh, I hate to give the last word to a Chelsea fan, but it did make me laugh. Boom. I was coming out of the bridge and we were end up we ended up behind two lads in, in blue scarf, and one of them turned to the other and just went well that was a good advert for the championship (laughs) 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 make me laugh so i was like all right fair enough that's a good one fair play to those boys right we'll be back after the break where we've got a load of your questions don't go anywhere hey 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Jack here with Jack and Cam. Before we get on to your questions, just a little announcement to say that on Thursday, we have an interview with former Fulham centre-back and manager Kit Simons. Sammy and Drew have been chatting to him. They look back his role in Keegan's all-conquering Division 2 champions and also lots of insight into his spell as Fulham head coach from 2014 to 2015. Here's a little snippet from the interview. The Fulham fans were all singing like, we want our Fulham back, yeah. was, was the big song, because it had gone. And so it was almost, because of my history as a player and this and the other, and I, I, you know, I'm a bit of a soppy sod, and I can't help if I throw myself into whatever, wherever I am and what I'm doing. So I, so I sort of loved, genuinely loved the club as a player, and then having come back and, and worked with the 18s, like I say, the 21s, I had a, a genuine sort of love and feel for the for the, for the place and the, all the people there as well and the players and, and the fans and everything. So, you know, my thing in my head, we want our Fulham back. Well, I've got a... And it was a difficult job to actually... I think it needed to be... I mean, you could have, you know, you could have got in um, another good manager who would have, would have certainly eventually done a good job. But I think... I do honestly believe that they at that, that stage, the club needed someone who actually understood the club a little bit to sort of get it back. And... Um, Although things didn't quite work out as I would have wanted in the end as as manager, you know, the fans were then singing, we've got our Fulham back. So I've gone from we want it back to we've got it back. So that's that was in, in effect, I think that's that was my big job to to get them to a place where they could actually have their club back, you know. And and like I say, because it was it was dark days and it was an absolute mess. Hear the full interview on Thursday, and then Sammy will be back, joined by Paddy Barkley on Monday to preview that big Liverpool semi-final second leg. Right, back to it, and we got loads of questions. I promised you we'd talk about Sasha. We're going to talk about Sasha, because Terry Wildman, Cam, says, Sasha Lukic, is he just not good enough for the Premier League, or is he just not bothered because he knows he's on his way out? (laughs) Well... I don't know whether we've all seen, um, obviously, the, uh, the articles floating about on various social media platforms recently, which, uh, which quote unquote say that he's getting bored of life in Fulham. Um, well, that's excellent. I'm, I'm going to say pinch of salt. I'm gonna just, yeah. just going to put yeah, that in of, there. Of, of course, there's a lot of spin doctrine that goes into these kind of articles, but um, it's, uh, it's probably loosely based on truth and there's no smoke without fire, I suppose. And you can kind of see where he's coming from. You know, he's a bit part player at the moment. That started strongly. That was, I thought, in Marco Silva's plans to maybe bed themselves into a starting berth. But 
Um, as much as I like him as a technical player, I think that he brings a lot of good factors and got a lot of good attributes to the squad where he's, um, he is tidy on the ball, but he just doesn't have the metal for me to compete at Premier League level. And uh, he's had a year now to acclimatise to life in England. Um, obviously, you're training day in, day out and intensity, which is built to last in the Premier League. And you've got to uh, obviously withstand those pressures as well. But, um, but no, I hate to say it. I mean, I do like Sasha, but maybe it is time to, you know, to cut it off. Um, cut the head off really um, I don't know whether it will be in January but maybe in the summer because if he's looking for more regular first team football I just don't think the Premier League's the platform for him to do it and it might need to move back to Serie A for him to, uh, to reach his former highs again so so yeah I am sat on the side of the fence which suggests that mm, he isn't good enough Personally. I've got a, a strange kind of thing on this. Every time Sasha starts, I think he does fine. But mm, I've never yeah. ever seen him do anything off the bench. And it's a bit of a strange platform because obviously you can't earn a start without putting in performance. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a bit of a strange catch-22, Jack. But I do think when he started, he's looked pretty neat, pretty tidy. He's been in there and, and done you know, the hard yards. It's almost like he needs that time to get up to speed in the game. And he has no kind of ability to switch it on when he comes off the bench and it makes him look worse because obviously everyone on the pitch is up to speed and he mm. looked well off it on Saturday morning he looked yeah. very very you know loose in possession which he normally isn't as Cam says yeah. normally the technical side of it's fine he gave the ball away in some really bad areas the passes were loose he, he you know his dribbles weren't there none of it worked but I do think there is something that some players just don't work from a substitute position I, I completely agree. And I think the word to describe him as from a starting berth is tidy, as, as you've both said. But he did come on at a stage where the game was quite chaotic and it was a little bit back and forth and Chelsea were pressing for a second and we were trying to just, you know, obviously equalise. And um, it, yeah, it, it, it felt like he had no idea of the occasion he was sort of getting himself into. I mean, this is a derby where we were trying to chase a point at least and get back in the game. And he just sort of acted like it was sort of, sort of pre-season friendly. And I was just like, come on, you've got to really get to grips with this. And um, I've always backed Sasha. And I thought that I actually thought he's really unlucky to come here and, you know, not have the language skills to sort of, you know, he doesn't speak English and then have his best power in Alexander Mitrovic leave in the summer. That's not going to make things any easier. Um, mm. But but he, I think, I mean, from Marco's point of view, he might have been like, look, Sasha does need to get up to speed to this game. But... He's like the sort of the only option we can bring on right now that's going to give us something fresh in midfield. Yeah, the bench was threadbare, right? It yeah. was completely. It was it was a pretty poor bench, pretty poor options off the bench. And it was sort of the best of a bad bunch that you could bring on Sasa Lukic. And he just did not adapt to the occasion whatsoever. It was his, probably his worst performance in a Fulham shirt, whether it be off the bench or from starting. Like you say, he starts very well. And like the game against... Was it? It might have even been like Hoffenheim in in, in the friendly in in preseason. He did look very very good, and I did think there was a player in there. And in fact, at last Arsenal. season for Arsenal, yeah, Arsenal it was great. Yeah, mm. and, and last season I asked Marco. I said, you know, at the end of last season, I said, look, Sasha Luka just come here. He hasn't played many minutes. You know, what is his role in this team? And he said, oh, you know, he's he's still part of the squad. I still want him to be part of the squad. But it just feels like it hasn't worked out for him, which is quite rare. For a Marco Silva player, I don't think Marco signed many players where it hasn't worked out. I can think of them on one hand, Carlos Quina, Nathaniel Chalobah in a Premier League sense, um, uh, Live Akazoa and Kevin Mbappé. And then I probably wouldn't mm. have to uh, add Sasha Lukic to that list now. 
it does feel like he may leave, which is quite good for us because it might open up an option for us to bring someone in in midfield. But then again, I don't really want to lose a midfielder and then not bring anyone in because if, yeah, if we have some FFP bit, It looks a bit loose in there anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, but to be I, fair, I, he's I still agree. a good number. And like whenever Paulinho has been out, I've been like, oh, like last season, for, for instance, I was like, God, we're going to get overran. And we, we lost to Brentford without Paulinho and Lukic was playing. Same against Arsenal when we lost 3-0. So he's not a reliable pair of hands, but he does actually play good football, like you say, from, st- from the start, but off the bench. I agree with you, Jack. Not for me. Not for me, Clive. Okay. All right. Vincent says, does Ream come back in for Liverpool? Tosin and Ream is tried and tested, and Diop always feels like he's got a mistake in him. Cam? Oh. Well, I said on the pod a couple of weeks ago that when um, Ream's fit again, I think he's a shoe in and uh, I don't know why you wouldn't have a player of his experience and uh, obvious footballing ability. Um, I don't know why you wouldn't have him back in the squad, to be quite honest with you. I know that Tim Ream has quite obviously got a mistake in him as well. What player doesn't? Um, but for me, Diop's mistakes are a tiny bit more calamitous um, than your average. And uh, if we're looking at a natural left-sided centre-half, obviously to come back in and just uh, just shore things up as Tim Ream so readily does, then uh, definitely get the American back in. Because he's going to be raring to get himself back into a, back into some kind of game fitness and form as well. And um, if he can keep himself in you know, a good level of performance, then we know that we've got a very, very useful and dependable player in him. So uh, I have no issues with him coming back into the squad against Liverpool because... Um, even if he hasn't necessarily played at the elite level of uh, you know football throughout his career, he's been there and done it against Premier League teams. And uh, why not? He's got a point to prove to Marco Silva to say that he's still the man. If he's uh, if he's available, pick me. That, that being Jack. said, that being said though, you know he hasn't played ninety minutes since December in the four three defeat to Liverpool, and at the tender age of 30, 36 to then come back into the team having played no minutes since then against Liverpool when we're chasing the tie. You know, mm-hmm. and they'll be playing on the counter attack, and I think that's a player to be got at. And Liverpool's point of view in in Tim Ream, so I, that does even make if me it's nervous. just pace wise. Exactly, I think I, I I don't necessarily think he'll have a mistake in him as such. Like he's obviously demonstrated before that he has, but he's obviously made up for it for some phenomenal football over yeah. the last couple of years. That being said, it just feels as if it's a bit of a hindrance to us to start Tim Ream in that game. I think that the partnership between Diop and Tosin is fairly solid and should be kept the same. Just by saying Diop's got a mistake in him does not mean that he just automatically comes out for Tim Ream, who's 36 and hasn't played, you know, in a couple, in like a month and a half. I think I would stick with Diop and Tosin just for continuity point of purposes. I think it's a I think it's a good argument. I think I probably err on Jack's side of it. I, I think I would probably keep the op in for that game, just in terms of the way that that one might play out, and Liverpool looking to soak up a little bit and, and spring those counters. But I do think that Tim Ream will get his opportunity to come back into this side Definitely. and start. I'm just Definitely. not 100 sure it's that game. I think it might be the league game that follows it, if you will, just mm. to yeah, just to make sure he is fully fit and and, and cooking again before before he's thrown in at the deep end. But good question for Vincent and uh, one that sparked a wee debate. So that's good. All right, couple more here. I enjoyed this because I thought this was interesting from Daniel at Read All Over. He said, at what point do we have to start looking at three at the back with Robinson as a wing back? Mm. He's our only player with genuine pace at the moment. And that's a real problem. Cam? Mm. Well, I, I think we could possibly play that system. Um, I know... 
when Bassi's back for in particular, yeah. um, he can probably slot quite nicely into a back three. And Timmy, Timmy, Timmy Chestnuts on the right hand side can obviously uh, put a shift in the right wing back as well. So I do think we've got um, you know ample cover across the pitch because uh, you don't necessarily need to be the most uh, gifted defensive mind to play a wing back role either. It's just the fact of putting in the hard yards and obviously supporting wherever you can. So. Yeah, I wouldn't be against it, but obviously that's something that we're going to need to uh, to bleed into the squad and uh, make sure that we're completely up to speed with it before we go out there and uh, and test it. Um, I just don't see any opportunity for us to do that in the next couple of weeks. I still think that we need to keep ourselves as uh, foundationally solid as possible, um, particularly in games where we're going to need to stick to a system which we trust and we know and not necessarily string ourselves up by uh, by switching it all of a sudden. But I do think there's scope to potentially work with it. but. Uh, like I say, at the moment, I just don't think it's worth uh, it's worth tinkering with. Yeah, Jack, I'm I'm intrigued because actually, I, I think the squad is relatively well suited to mm. three at the back. Marco Silva, however, is absolutely wedded to a four-two-three-one. It's yeah. been his go-to for so many years. I also do think that there's a risk at some points when you do have a player like Robinson who's so good at getting forward from left back, you're actually effectively limiting your attacking capabilities by doing so because he basically plays a wing-back role from left-back. Are we sending another defender in basically just to to cover? We haven't had huge amounts of issues with people getting in behind when Robinson vacates out space because he is so fast and such a brilliant athlete. I wonder Mm. if that actually counts against an idea of a switch. No, I was thinking about that. And actually, the fact of the matter is when Robinson does bomb forward. He never really gets exposed when they overturn the ball because he has that pace to get back, like you say. The only instance where that actually did happen was against Arsenal, where Timmy Chestnuts was all the way, literally off the pitch, putting that cross in and suddenly Arsenal with the quality they have, overturned the ball and then we were exposed and, and we conceded a really sloppy Villa goal. Is Villa away as well. Robinson oh, I was out of the ground. I <laughs> <laughs> was not he there. Left. <laughs> left it. Um, but yeah, no, there's a good point in that. And, you know, I was thinking about this, like if we were to play a back five with quite aggressive fullbacks, like Tete can bomb forward as well. Robinson can get forward, as we've just said. And then you'd have like Bassi, Diop, Tosin. And then I suppose... I wonder if Tete would actually play at right centre-back if you oh, played that system. That's interesting. Um, like a Dennis Adoy kind of type. Yeah. Well, yeah, almost just because it allows you to get that one-on-one defending skill and also allow Castagna a little bit more freedom to roam. That might be the... Yeah. If you're going to do that, I think that might be the answer to it. I'd, I'd really like to see if we're going to play wing-backs um, Balotore yeah. a little bit more. Because at AC Milan, when he did play you know, sporadically... He was such a useful tool for them when he got forward. And of course, he's got the pace and he's got the power to get back and cover as well. You know, I think it's a shame with Balotore, really. I know that Robinson plays out of his skin and he's done so well recently, but I'm actually surprised we haven't seen more of him. Really? No, I'm, I'm not hugely because I think Robinson's probably been our best player this season. Yeah, but actually, when you when you when you when it comes to it, he's probably just hit the squad at a particularly unlucky time, right? Yeah. Where yeah. you'll be like, every time he's come and played, he's played well, he's done good things. We like the cameos that we've seen from him. Mm. He's just got one of the form players in the Premier League in front of him at the moment. I mean, it's very difficult to dislodge. Yeah, I guess that's why I'm surprised because Robinson has put himself on such a pedestal this season, hasn't he? When we know that he's so so used to going through those really really down stages where we 
do have players obviously coming in for him just to give him a little bit of respite. That, that's probably why I'm just surprised by it. But I like what I see from Frodo. Um, Frodo, I think he's an extremely explosive Frodo player. Baggins story. Frodo. <laughs> Frodo Baggins story. <laughs> if we can make we a go. song out of that, would be better than the Balamori one. I was just going to say, the, um, the obviously Marco likes having, you know, a 4-2-3-1 system, which basically means that we have a good balance in midfield with Paulinho Kearney or Harrison Reed and Pereira. If we were to lose a man in midfield by having an extra man at the back, I think that would probably affect our build-up play going down the middle. But then again, down the flanks, we probably have just as much of a threat as we do have now with defensive cover. So that there's there's pros and cons to it. I think if we're in a position where we're, in the, we're on the beach come March or April, maybe tinker with it. But for now, just just keep it the same and let's try and get to a Wembley final. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Right, we've got a couple of questions on, oh, talking of pace, uh, the myth, the legend, Adama Traore. Chris <laughs> says, I feel we really need a player like Traore to be more effective in these games. Is he ever going to play for us again? Um, and I enjoyed this one from uh, Brian Lake, who said, has anyone actually seen Adama Traore lately? And if not, should someone call the authorities? Similar <laughs> vibe from Emily as well. It was, it, yes, it, it does feel like, we have actually signed a ghost. Yeah. There's no way he actually exists in real life. Um, the thing is, it's like, it's always the, the, the first question in the press conference is, hi, Marco, can we have some team news, please? <laughs> and he's like, Adama's out. And I was like, well, hey, bingo. Like, honestly, it's so frustrating. Um, but, you know, it harps back. In fact, there's two examples of, a, of what Adama can bring to this team. The performance against Spurs in the Carabao Cup was brilliant. I thought he was really, yeah. really good, really positive. And the cameo off the bench against Arsenal, where arguably he should have scored the winning goal. Yeah. You know, if he if he has a little bit more Ivan Foot champs caviar about him, he could ball roll that around the keeper and score. But but the keeper came out well and composure's and never really been his strong suit, has it? <laughs> Nor has it been for Caviera either. So um <laughs> maybe maybe I'm wrong. Um but yeah, where, where is Adama? I'm sure he'll be back. In you know, hopefully before 2026, but we shall see. Um, it, it's been frustrating because he would be a great player to bring off the bench in a game like you know Chelsea, where we we, we wanted something a little bit different or something more exciting up front or, or in the attacking in uh, the attacking positions. But um, I'm, I'm sure it's weird because he was like fit for like one week, and Marcus said he was going to be back training, and then suddenly he was out again. So I don't know what's going on at Motspur Park, but um, it would be nice to see him fairly soon someone spiked the baby oil <laughs> there's a follow-up question to this um from craven the hunter cam he says ben rama smith Rowe, palestri any other wingers you can think of that we could try and loan seeing as adama is pure money laundering at this point we might need two <laughs> not one <laughs> well i think it's a top between the players what i just mentioned there i mean if we can go for someone like smith row on a six-month line that would be awesome mm -hmm. i mean we we had a similar question a couple of weeks ago on the pod and i don't think anybody could really put their finger on anybody else other than ben rama and smith Rowe. to be quite honest um maybe palestri i do like the look of him he's just uh He's, he, he's like a Garnacho Mark too, just without the stupid haircut and the, <laughs> and the dodgy teeth. Um, so I quite like I quite like him because I think he'd obviously have a, a good point to prove to Ten Hag, and um, he's a he's a cute little player, isn't he? Um, actually, on the on the on 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 the subject of Man United wingers, um, Diallo, Ahmad Diallo um, is the one. Yeah, I, I, I'd love to see him come online potentially because I remember watching him 
as we all probably do, when he played for Sunderland last season, and he uh, he had a couple of excellent opportunities from just dipping inside and whipping whipping shots uh, shots at target. And they just whistled like whiskers wide, and that's obviously him a year younger as well. And I think he scored like something stupid like fifteen goals for them last season as well in a fairly decent Sunderland side. And um, I think he's got, you know, he's got such a high ceiling, that geezer. So I'd like to see maybe Diallo get himself down the cottage if we can, if we can utilise the, uh, obviously, the, the domestic loans. Yeah, so for me, obviously, I think it's going to be either Smith or Diallo. If you were going to, if you were going to, um, if, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to offer me either or, it would probably be Smith Rowe. Just because mm-hmm. I, I just think he's such an intelligent player that can play in a, a range of roles, and I just think it'd suit Marcus Silva's system a lot more than what Diallo would. But then again, how can you say no to a direct uh, a direct winger like Diallo? So uh, it's it's a tough question, and um, I'm sure it's something that Marco will probably have one eye on. If you, even if he's saying it's going to be a fairly quiet, uh, um, you know, unmomentous transfer window, but I do think that we will see some typical Tony Khan business towards the end of the uh, end of the transfer window, particularly after uh, it seems that we're in the clear as well. Yeah, well, for Fingers now, crossed. anyway, let's, uh, yeah, let's not count our chickens before they've come home to roost. But <laughs> it does look OK for the moment. Jack, uh, anyone else? And, and also I'd add a tag on a second question to the end of this one, um, mm. which is from Dave. He says, we have two domestic loans we could use. What two positions would you use them for? Because it, well, feels like a similar well, kind of vibe. Well, yeah, no, literally, it, this was a question I put to Marco a couple of weeks ago before the Liverpool game. I said, I said, you know, you brought in Cedric, you brought in Duffy, and then you made it permanent, and then you brought in Dan James. You know, so this is a market you've explored before. So how come, uh, you know, you haven't dipped into that in the summer? And, and is that something you're going to think about going into into the the January window, he gave me a very honest, honest answer. He said that he prefers to have players on permanent. He doesn't like having loans. And I said, well, that's well, I didn't say anything back to him. I was just listening and nodding along. And <laughs> I, I, just, I thought, well, I that's fair say, enough. You start giving him loads of g. <laughs> you what? <laughs> no, I'm joking. No, I would never do that ever. Um, he, he's, he's very nice. Um, Diallo was, was, was top of my list. In terms of positions, ooh, I suppose a backup holding midfielder. Um, so, so, I mean, I know we're not in the race for Calvin Phillips, but someone like Calvin Phillips would be interested to go for on loan f- to the end of the season, see if he can either get back into the Man City team or, or, or have a move in the summer. It's a little bit ambitious, but, um, you got to be in to win it, in it to win it. Um, and then where else? Maybe, maybe a striker. If we were to let go of either Rodrigo Munez yeah. or Vinicius, just a second option. It depends on the sort of build. You know, Marco's always wanted a, a hold-up striker. And we've always sort of flirted with the idea of having a different sort of striker. Someone a bit more pace, wants to get in behind. A Dan James sort of type. Obviously, he was a winger, but he could have played up front. And he was very good when he played at Everton away last season. And he was quite nippy and set up a good goal. Seem to remember. But, um, but yeah, striker, winger because of Noah Dharma right mm. now and then Willian who needs some support off the bench and we've got Wilson. I still get annoyed that we, we let Cabano go. I think Cabano would be a great asset to this team right now. But just to answer your question in a very long-winded way, I'd probably have to say a striker and a midfielder and maybe a winger, but that's three, so we'd only allow two. But it would be nice to get in someone like Ahmad Diallo, for sure. Oh, I wonder if we take a little punt at maybe where Newcastle are. And obviously we've seen them be struck down with injuries and and really lost. So I'm not quite sure exactly where they are in terms of could they afford to let players go at this point. I know there's worries about their 
FFP numbers, etc. So there's a little bit of concern around them. But I, I wonder if there is, you know, especially with the emergence of someone like Lewis Miley, obviously the midfield looks quite strong when it's at full full whack. So is there space for someone like a Joe Willock to yeah. go out on loan? Oh, and yeah. I was like, that's the kind of move I can imagine actually strengthening this side. And, and maybe that's the kind of move that Fulham need to be looking at a little bit more in terms of, you know... <laughs> How much game time is Jacob Murphy going to be getting if you're looking for a winger? Yeah. Yes, these players have been injured and are missing for a reason. And I'm not suggesting that all of them are going to be fit. But those are the kind of players on the edge of that squad that's been obviously built up a little bit more. And they've tried to move onwards from the original kind of systems that might still be able to come in and do an immediate job somewhere like Fulham. Just a... Just a thought, but uh, it was one that crossed I thought you were going to say Longstaff, to be fair, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't uh, leave Newcastle, would he? I don't think. I, honestly, I think Willock's below long stuff in that pecking order, and uh-huh. that's saying something. Willock would be a sick signing. Like, he would be awesome. Signing. Well, there's another yeah, winger that's, that's that's piqued my interest and many people's interest, but in in um, Scott Twine on loan at Hull, he's just been recalled by Burnley. He's gone to Bristol City on loan. I mean, I think he's Premier League quality. I said that when he was at MK Dons, we should have signed him, but he's gone to he's gone to Bristol City and under. Um, Oh, Liam Manning. I mean, that, I think that's a really. I mean, let's not talk about Bristol City, but I think that's a great move for him. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. I do yeah. too, and I hope he succeeds. Yeah, I like me too. <laughs> Love um, to win. Right. I think that's enough. <laughs> let's uh, let's call it there. <laughs> All that's left to do here, Cam, is to name this podcast. What are you going to go for? I'm going to go for Mr. Krupas. Um No me gusto, just because I think it's a an obvious choice. So, uh, well done, Jakob. I shall see you very soon, son. Absolutely. Very, very good. Well done, Jakob. Um, and thank you very much for naming the podcast. Thank you also to Mr. Cameron Ramsey. Pleasure, lads. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you very much to Mr. Jack Kelly. Thank you very much. Enjoyed that. I enjoyed it too. It was a nice cathartic session for the boys. I've been Jack Collins. This has been the Fulhamish Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And remember to tune in later in the week for that interview with Kit Simons. It's going to be an absolute belter. Make sure you're locked in, subscribed, all the usual bits and bobs. For now, though, you wait.